Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Thank you for joining us. I am Mike Heck, the BTL champion. We have a fun show this week. A lot going on as always. Excited to be back in the host chair. Boston Mike gets put away until next time. Well, let's get right into this. Let us introduce the panel this week. First, one of the nominees for Journalist of the Year for from Fighters Only for the big awards later on this year. And he's on my shortlist for Colleague of the Year from MMAfighting.com, the deputy editor, Mr. Shad Al Shadi. Hello, sir. Welcome back to the program, my man. What is up, my man? It is it's always good to be here. Uh, I'm happy to be here until I popped on and all of a sudden I see who I'm facing and now I just feel like I'm kind of a sacrificial lamb, but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Let's do this. Yes. And that man is a surging featherweight from the ultimate fighting championship. He's surging up the ranks right now. He is scheduled from what I understand for a fight against Pat Sabatini on September 17th, but maybe he could get in there a little bit sooner. Let us say hello live from the treadmill. Mr. Damon Jackson, how are you, sir? And why are you on the treadmill for this program? Why are you making history right now? Uh, I'm doing good, man. But uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm game planning for someone to fall out uh, for this weekend. So there's only two fights at 55. And uh, I love the matchup with all of them. So I would love to step in short notice and, uh, you know, be that guy that steps in. Shaheen, how do I'm you feel close. about this? He's coming. Don't get me wrong. How yeah. can I compete? This is a man of many talents. He's gonna do, he's gonna kick my ass while on the treadmill. Like I'm I'm here to watch this. This is this is fantastic. This is amazing stuff. I'm very excited for this matchup. Let's get into this thing. It has been a chaotic day. Let's start with a chaotic card from this past Saturday. Let's talk about the big story from this past Saturday. UFC London. The main event ended. In an unfortunate way, the prelims were not all that exciting. It was very hard for this card to live up to what we saw in March in London, but UFC put on their, they did their best. This card was a card and it was the Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann show once again. These two just continue to win, they continue to rise and they continue to just get a whole bunch of fanfare and attention through all of this. So Shaheen, I will begin with you, my man. What have you made of this sort of meteoric rise of both of these fighters, not just individually, but together on the same card, kind of going hand in hand with one another? 
I mean, it, it, you, I see the lower third, the, the Patty and Molly show, right? That It feels like that's sort of what we came out of this with. The UFC London the first time around was an all-around spectacular. It might still be the event of the year, or at least it's top two up there. You come away from the first UFC London show, there's lots of takeaways, there's lots of stars. This past one, I mean, this card, it wasn't the best card. It, it, it dragged a little bit in places, and the main event was very disappointing with the way it ended. But we came out of it with Patty Pimblin and once again, Molly McCann sort of shining in this moment. And we talk about owning the moments in this sport. They they completely own this moment. And I think they actually are starting to slowly change some people's opinions and perspectives a little bit. I mean, just even we, we've talked about it all week, but Patty Pimblin going out there and, and having, you know, his one his really wonderful post-fight message about mental health and the importance of talking to people uh, about your struggles and things like that. Like, it feels like what they were able to do this past weekend really resonated with a lot of people. And, you know, you look at sort of their places in the division. I don't know that we're talking about, at least for Patty, you know, him in title contention anytime soon. He's still very far down the line, but he did come away from it, I think, again, changing some hearts and minds. It feels like we are seeing less criticism of Patty and more just people welcoming and, and enjoying this story rather than trying to poke holes in it, which is definitely something. And, and I'm sure, you know, this next time around, it seems like the UFC is going to be targeting a big pay-per-view show for them or at least some type of big maybe main event or we'll see how it plays out. But, I mean, it certainly was the Patty and Molly show this past weekend, and uh, that's – through through no fault of uh you know curtis blades or anything like that but that's just the way it turned out damon as a as a fighter on the roster a guy trying to get fights and rise up these divisions heck you're trying to get in there this saturday what have you made of of watching these two and the momentum that they've garnered this year man like you know the, the energy is real with both of them you know they always bring a fight uh, no matter what they're both exciting like before the fight and during the fight they're they're kind of crazy you know patty Patty definitely has to work on his skills because, you know, he can't keep getting dropped with uh, whenever he fights these guys. And so um, they'll matching him up with another grappler like that was a good move on the UFC. I hope they take care of him because he definitely does have some uh, special, like, energy that not a lot of people have. So, uh, you know, I think that goes a long ways. And that Molly girl, she's legit. You know, I love I love her. Uh, her media presence is pretty good. It's pretty funny to watch because I don't really get into it a whole lot. But uh, she's, uh, she's definitely animated. And she's backing it up, man. She's uh that that uh, that energy is crazy, and you know she's got the rock uh, the rock watching her, and uh, you know talking about the elbow thing back and forth. So um, I think that I think both of those both of them have uh, they have something that not a lot of people have, and they have the ability to to bring in that hype. And you know during the fight, uh, that card, you know they build up these fights, and uh, it seems like every time they do a big build up on a fight, it, it's like somehow some way you'll get let down as a fan. So. I think it's the card that they don't talk a lot about. Those are going to be the best cards because no one really expects it. Because like when you expect uh, everyone to show up, they're not going to show up. So um, hopefully they, hopefully the UFC and everybody else learns from that. The fans uh, to not get so hyped up for the fights and just just to be present and watch them because you know some of these guys in the undercard uh, put on a, good, a decent show. You know it's just like it's hard to get into a fight when you expect it to go a certain way and it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, props to JSP. Great performance from him. Props to Nathaniel Wood and Charles Rosa. They put on a hell of a fight. But, you know, coming out of it and all week, it's been the Patty and Molly show. So let me ask you this, Damon. Yeah. Like, higher ceiling between the two. Like, if you could invest on the career ceilings, not like the superstar ceiling, not like, you know, who's going to make the most money and get the most sponsorships type of ceiling, but the actual, this person can go on a run, get to the top 15, top 10, top five, fight for the title, maybe win the belt. 
who would you invest in? Would you invest in Patty or would you invest in Molly? Uh, I think Molly gets there quicker. Uh, I think that, you know, that division, it, it's just a little different when we talk in men's and women's divisions. There's just not a, not as many fighters. And she actually has some uh, pretty legit talent there uh, on the feet. She's crazy. She's crazy enough to get hit, too. So I think that Patty needs to, you know, figure out a way to, to get hit and not get hurt or to not get hit and take it uh, take his people down, you know, a little bit, a little bit cleaner. I think Kyung coming out swinging crazy. Uh, when you're talking about having another man across the cage that weighs, you know, 185 or, you know, 190, some of these, some of these lightweights are huge. So you've got another guy coming across the cage swinging like that. Uh, you can't, you can't go in there crazy. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he, he, you know, grows, grows up a little bit and learns from that. But I hope they keep their same energy because they, they definitely aren't entertaining. What do you think, Sean? Because Patty is becoming a star and, you know, We've seen this before. We've seen fighters come in. We, like this, this reminds me a lot of Connor in a lot of ways, where every time Connor won, it was like, eh, this guy's not that good. Eh, nice win. He's a star, but he's never going to fight for the title. And all of a sudden, Connor wins one title and then wins a second title. And we were like, oh, guess we were all wrong about this guy. But do you agree with him? Like, do you feel like Molly is, is the guy you'd invest, or the gal you would invest in, the fighter you would invest in? Or do you think the UFC could just properly match up Patty and just, just keep building him up. Maybe get to a title fight. Maybe get to a top five fight. Maybe get to a contender fight sooner than we than a lot of people think. I mean, I would push back a little bit on the Conor comparisons just because, I mean, yeah. I, to me, they, they feel very different, right? When Conor McGregor was coming up, he was blowing people away. Like, he was just getting yeah. these quick, yeah. quick knockouts, and he wasn't showing a lot of uh, holes and deficiencies in his game. Patty's getting hurt in most of these fights. I think Damon would agree with that. Like, there's very obvious routes to in guys in the ufc right now that would beat patty i don't know that anybody's really clamoring for patty to, to fight for the title anytime soon it feels like he still has a long long way to go and even if the ufc wanted to manufacture some sort of road that division is just unbelievable right that's the deepest division in the entire sport i think at some point pat they would they would struggle to sort of get patty where he is whereas dane was 100 percent right that women's flyweight division right now is really grasping for someone to challenge uh, Valentina Shevchenko that will compel people. I mean, Talia Santos just did a phenomenal job, but it doesn't seem like they're going to run that back. And it seems like Valentina wants to keep it going. So if she needs a big name, I think it's very conceivable that Molly could be one or two fights away from being that person where the UFC just tries to propel her into that spot. And also, I do want to I want to ask Damon something because the, his answer he said previously really interested me. And I'm just curious, man, when you're in that spot and you're on on a card like a London card or something like that, and you can feel sort of the momentum and the feeling within the, the building or the, the card. Do you feel that as a fighter, like the momentum building within uh, an arena or like a card of, of like sort of, hey, this was really exciting. This was really exciting. Like I can feed off of that energy or is it all such yeah. a solely focused thing? No, it definitely is. I mean, you, you can't help but hear the crowd. Like, you know, like my last fight was so frustrating because, you know, I just didn't have a good uh, good uh, rehydration. I had a good weight cut, but I didn't have a good rehydration. And I held the kids down uh, the whole fight. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, thinking that all these people are going to talk shit about the fact that I didn't do anything and that I was just holding him down and, like, saying all this stuff. So like, in my head, during the fight, I'm thinking of the fans, thinking of how I'm not putting on a show and how this isn't going to give me a top 15 opponent. Like, I was literally thinking that while I had his back. And so, um, you know, that you definitely, you have to think that way or you're not going to get paid what you want. 
And, uh, you know, you got to go out there and put on a show every time because uh, at the end of the day, this is entertainment. I know you're out there competing and, you know, you want to prove yourself, you know, toughness, whatever. But it's like at the end of the day, you're there for people's entertainment. Like people are paying to watch you uh, fight someone. So that's what they want to see. And I think that going back to the patty and, and um, you know, Molly, I think that they both have the entertainment value where they can talk smack and they go out there and they put on a good show. So I think both of them will get built up the right way. I don't think the UFC is going to uh, try to like fast track them in and like make them fight the toughest fights. But, you know, people, the fans aren't going to argue so much whenever you got guys out there putting on exciting fights. If somehow, some way they get put in the top 15 and you don't know, you know, you don't know how they got there. It's just kind of like, um, I think that the value goes a long ways with the fans when they're cheering and they're making noise. So that's why it's frustrating to always fight at the apex. Cause this is like my, my fifth or sixth fight at the apex. And, uh, it's a great place to cut weight, great place to stay. But like, uh, I want some fans, man. I wanted my next fight to be, uh, in Dallas. So, uh, that's why I'm cutting weight right now. Cause I would just, I would, uh, I would love to fight there. <laughs> yeah. And I would, uh, I, I'll fight up a weight class down, whatever. Maybe you'll get fight. your wish. Maybe you'll get your wish hey, this I'm, week. Man. Hey, yeah, I hope. So the the reason I asked more, more so the Patty question about sort of building him up, because the biggest question all week, Sean, and you've heard it, we've gone back and forth like in our Slack channels. We had a whole heck of a morning basically based on this. As far as matchmaking for Patty now, because we've heard, like I've personally heard everything from Ludovic Klein, who won on the same card, to my suggestion on Onsen Action was Jamie Malarkey, Bobby Green's a popular one. Jim Miller's a popular one. And out of nowhere, the most intriguing selection of all has been Tony Ferguson, Sean. A lot of people are the, – the voting on this was unbelievable. I could not believe how close this was. I think it ended at a, as a 50-50 tie. And the question was, does Patty Pimlet versus Tony Ferguson make sense right now? And it was a 50-50 tie with almost like a 1,000 votes. It was insane. So your thoughts on that and – I'm sure you're not going that route, but if no. you have the magic pencil, how are we doing this? How are we doing this now? My thoughts on that are people are insane. That's a ridiculous <laughs> thing to call for. First of all, a couple of things. First of all, the disrespect to Tony Ferguson is just out of control at this point. Like this man's a legitimate legend in this game. Like we got to respect what this guy has accomplished. And like he, we just saw him against Michael Chandler. Like sure, he got knocked out in the second round, but in the first round, he looked like vintage Tony for a few moments there. Like he still might have some left into him to just assume that Patty's just going to walk through Tony when that's like by far the like without measure the, the largest up like upward climb and in, in, like level of opponent that he has faced in strength of schedule like that's absurd to me but also like let's play that out right like let's play say that you book that fight and somehow patty pimblett beats tony ferguson which i absolutely do not think would happen again that's disrespectful as hell to tony ferguson in my eyes but let's say it happens what the hell do you do then what do you what are you you just gonna throw patty pimblett against like the top five dogs at 155 and then that's the end of the show like come on man like at that point you're sort of trapped within an area of your own design where patty pimblett is suddenly this guy in the top 10 at 155 and i think a lot of people would would agree that he probably doesn't belong there right now and really doesn't need to be taking those kind of fights so it's it's a stupid stupid idea on a lot of levels in my eyes 
and I'm sure what the UFC will do as well is you continue to sort of do a very gradual and slow escalation where you put him in these big spots. You give him matchups that maybe are favorable, grappling type of matchups, guys who are not going to punch his lights out and take advantage of some defensive deficiencies that might be there right now. And you sort of play this out as long as you can until it, the fervor becomes too much to where, okay, we need to feed this guy someone in the top 15 and start seeing whether he's ready for this type of challenge. What do you think, Damon? Like, if you were, if, if they're like, hey, Damon, yeah. we're going to give you this fight in Dallas on Saturday. You could fight in Dallas, but you have to matchmake for Patty Pimblett in exchange. How are you matchmaking for him? A hundred percent. I think he's got too much, uh, too much potential to just be thrown in the mix of top five. Like, there's those guys in the top five at 155. I mean, that's just a whole different level where, you know, he's not ready for that. And I think that he is skilled, but, um, you know, it only goes so far when you got those guys that are, you know, well-rounded and, you know, 30 fights in their pro career. Uh, you can't be matched up with, you know, Patty with his one-dimensional style. Uh, I think that he um, has the potential to be there, but he's going to have to put some work in for sure. But uh, him getting with Tony, that's ridiculous. Thank you. Thank you. Some, finally, some sense on this program. Jesus Christ. This is ridiculous hearing this stuff. Yeah, Jamie Malarkey is the correct answer. That's a nice step up. You know, a guy yeah. who could crack a little bit, yeah. But still, I think rankings-wise, like, they're right around the same. Patty's, Patty's like, bigger than rankings right now. He's bigger than titles. He's bigger than top 15 opponents. Like, he's just you, – your job is to put him out there to win. That's it. Put him in front of a crowd that will appreciate him and then let him win and let the crowd go crazy. He dances around. Molly drinks a bunch of howler head. That's what you want. That's what you want. So we'll see what happens. I can't believe how many people feel like Tony Ferguson is the right fight, but I digress. Let us move on to round number two. The point for round number one goes to... I mean, how can I not give it to the man cutting weight right now? I have to. Absolutely. It is Damon Jackson. Bro, I, I know, almost I said we were competing. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> this makes me even more excited. Let's go. Oh, see? There we go. There we go. Welcome Doom. to the program. Ah, <laughs> uh, there we go. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, let's uh, let's move forward with one of the other big stories over the last couple of weeks. We found out a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it was a big part of the show last week, that Nathan Diaz has his final fight on the books. He's going to be fighting Hamzat Shemaev in the main event of UFC 279, September 10th, T-Mobile Arena. And we heard from Nate on the MMA Hour a couple of weeks ago. It's just a bonus episode. Nate is like a unicorn. And when he appears, you have to take pictures and you have to make sure you document this. Then we got Hamza Shemaev on the MMA Hour on Monday. It was something that happened out of nowhere. Ariel recorded it on Sunday. It appeared on Monday. And it was a very interesting interview from a guy that doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. So, Sean, I'm curious for a number of reasons, just because I never really got your thoughts on the conversation itself. During that interview, when it was over, what were your biggest takeaways from it? Whether it be Nate or the Gilbert Burns stuff or his thoughts about titles, why he took the Nate fight, his respect he had for Nate. What were your biggest takeaways? You're saying from the Hamzat interview? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought it was just interesting to sort of see his perspective on this, because for the most part, all we've seen is, is Nate. We've heard from Nate quite a bit. This has been a very long and bizarre saga with Nate. And I think where we landed on it is a very... I don't know, strange place, right? Like, I think this is just a very weird matchup when you look at it on its face. Um, the, the odds sort of tell the story. I think, I, I don't know what the odds are currently, but Nate is a, a giant, massive underdog in this. And I think Dan Hardy actually put it really well on the MMA hour this week when he when he called this an assassination attempt and, and said, you know, somebody should be pressing charges for this. Because it all of it feels very bizarre to me. Um, I understand sort of, I guess, what the UFC wants to do with this, but... The fact that Nate Diaz has sort of turned into this gatekeeper of a 170-pound title shot is just one of the strangest things to me that I have seen over the last couple of years. Because you look at every person that Nate Diaz has fought over the last few years, every single one of them has gotten a welterweight title shot afterwards, right? Uh, Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal, now probably Hamzat Shemaev as well. It's it's one of the deeper divisions in the entire sport. You have tons of talent there at 170, and it's sort of languishing in a, in a place where – it's not really getting moving in the way that we would expect because of situations like this. So I, that whole part of this is, is very strange to me. I feel like Nate Diaz is a legitimate legend of the game who has done a lot for the UFC, who has put in a lot of time with the UFC, who has really contributed a lot to sort of the, the growth of the lightweight division and just generally the sport as a whole over the last 10 years. And he deserves better than to sort of be pushed into some this type of matchup on the way out. Uh, I know people will say that he called for this matchup, but sure, he also called for Dustin Poirier. He called for Vicente Luque. He called for a lot of other things, too, and eventually he just knew that this was the one they wanted to give him, so just give me the damn fight so I can get out of here. So that part of it was strange, but I, I did – it was interesting to hear from Hamza. I mean, he, I, that to me was one of the more relaxed Hamza Shemaev interviews I've ever seen. It was it was sort of, you know, at his own pace, and uh, it's, 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 it's fun to hear his type of thoughts on this. And in particular, I thought it was really cool to hear him sort of wax poetic about Alexander Gustafson as well. That's been lost – uh, among all the the big headlines with this, but it's 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 cool to sort of hear that you know the respect he has for a guy like Alexander Gustafsson and a, who's in a tough spot in his career and all that. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the interview and I, I thought, you know, it's just fun to hear from Hamzat a little bit. 
Damon, not sure if you watched the interview, but that's okay. We'll, we'll work yeah. around it if you didn't, but, um, I, obviously I wanted to get your thoughts on just the matchmaking itself. The fact that right now you're scheduled to fight a week after that. But one thing that Hamzat said that made a lot of headlines and got a lot of people's attention is he doesn't even think Nate's going to show up to this fight. Hamzat is going to prepare to fight September 10th. He hopes it's Nate, but he's preparing for it not to be Nate Diaz, which I think in 2022, all fighters should kind of think about it at least in some way like that. But your thoughts on the matchup and this, just your thoughts on Hamzat saying that, he doesn't even think Nate's gonna show up September 10th. Hey, every time every time I say that about my opponents, they they don't show up. I, I know I know that uh, Pat uh, Pat Seventeen is gonna show up. I know he's gonna be ready to go. But uh, you know, I just think about it. I'm like, you don't really know what happens behind the closed doors with the UFC and with Nate and all the stuff. Like, you know, Nate's very public with the, all of his like issues with them. But you don't know how true uh, it is. Like, he could be calling out Dustin Poirier, and then when they give him a contract, he says no. You know, and you don't know if it's a money issue or if you don't know it's a matchup issue or what. Um, I think this is kind of like one of those scenes where, you know, uh, they're pressing this on him so hard. And I, I believe that his contract, um, once it, uh, it gets to a certain point, like the length of it, uh, he could be out. So he could very easily get to this fight and then pull out and just wait for the very end of his uh, career and just go out that way. Because I think that this matchup is not, uh, it's not a good matchup for him. I, you know, I would never say... You can count either one of the Diaz brothers out just because of what they've done. But it's a it's a next level, a different generation. Um, and with the way that he wrestles and the way that he controls people. And, um, you know, just seeing what he did with Gilbert Burns. Like Gilbert Burns is like one of the toughest guys there in that division. And, you know, he goes out there and has like an absolute war with him. And that was like his fourth fight in the UFC or fifth fight, whatever. And, you know, like you don't get to, you don't see a lot of guys like that that can just hold their own with, you know, Gilbert's, you know, one of the top three, top four best guys. And to see him go out there um, and put it on him like that was impressive. And I think that his wrestling against Nate, uh, even Nate does have some jujitsu, but I wouldn't, um, I, you know, I go with a lot of black belts in jujitsu. And I think that just wrestling uh, alone controls a lot of really good jujitsu guys. So I can see. Uh, Humza going out there and just being an absolute dog on top and controlling him um, on the feet, on the ground, whatever. And then once that starts happening, then, you know, he might let loose and throw some, you know, throw some hands and, you know, catch Nate. And I know that Nate's never been, uh, or maybe just once he got, he got hurt and uh, maybe got knocked out one time a long time ago. I forget who it was. Josh Thompson. Uh, yeah, that yeah Josh kid. Thompson. Yeah. That was the only fight that I ever saw Nate, you know, get hurt like that. So, I think that he definitely has a chin, but, you know, it's just like it sucks seeing him matched up like this because he definitely deserves uh, kind of like a floater for his last fight with UFC. Um, I don't know what the issues are, though, with him and the UFC, but they, they've got to be something with money. I don't really know. But Nate, 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 uh, Nate brings a lot of attention, but, you know, he hasn't really put together a winning streak in years. I mean, it's been forever. He always, like, he wins or he loses, and it's just like, who knows, man? But he talks a lot of smack. I think the UFC is just kind of calling his bluff. And uh, I think that he's going to, you know, walk into this fight and then maybe at the end pull out and uh, just finish out his contract with the time period, not the actual fights. So I think that's what happens. Interesting. I have no idea how that works and if that could yeah. even happen. But this that's why it's so – this whole thing is so interesting. Between now and September 10th, it's just going to be real fascinating. But, uh, Sean, I'm looking at this card right now. There ain't much home to, to write home about. Like, I mean, listen, it's there's some good fights. There's I, I don't want to dog anybody in particular, but 
this thing is at least missing a co-main event. And this card is going to do well no matter what. If they just add like four more fights exactly like this, it's still going to do well. These two guys are stars. And even those who are complaining about this fight, fans, etc., they're going to watch it. They're going to spend the 75 bucks. They're going to watch it because they, they want to see what's going to happen. But it needs some help. This card needs a co-main event, Sean. It really needs one. And it needs it pretty badly if we're being honest. What right now sensibly could fit that slot? Because I've been trying to think, and everyone keeps asking me, and I literally have no idea. I actually don't think they're going to do much, if I'm being real. Because when you say it needs a co-main event, I would agree with you, but I would also argue for the UFC it doesn't. Uh, and this is sort of the the trend we've seen over the last couple of years with Connor cards, um, with the, the Nate Diaz cards as well. Just They're content to let this be a one-fight card, and they don't want other people sucking off the pay-per-view points, or sucking from, I should say, the the pay-per-view points that that are going to be offered from this. I mean, like you said, people are going to buy this because it's Nate Diaz, it's Hamzat Shemaev. Those are two really big names, two of the bigger names in the entire sport, Nate Diaz in particular. And it's going to sell itself. This is a trend we've seen over the past few years with with these sort of major star cards with a Connor or a Nate where the UFC is just not going to load the deck like they used to. And that used to be really fun when they would do it, right? We, we'd get these big three title fight cards and Connie, Connor versus Eddie and all this stuff would be on these stack stack cards. That's really expensive for the UFC if, if all these people are getting pay-per-view points off of a card that is going to do very well on pay-per-view, which this one probably will uh, because I'm sure. Also, just going into it, the, the narrative of this is Nate Diaz's final UFC fight. We all sort of see what's happening with it, the matchup that they gave him, how they're trying to send him out. In, on its face, that is a very compelling matchup that you can just sell, or a narrative, I should say, that you can co- sell to regulars. You can sell the casuals of, hey, this guy that you were aware of and that you know about, this is sort of his last run and he it's against an all-odds all type of situation. Like, that'll sell itself and it'll do well. So I don't think the UFC is building this card for, for fans like us, for, you know, people who, who fight fans like us who really, you know, follow it and watch every week and that sort of thing. This is a, a card for people who are, in the broader space, we're going to buy it one way or another because they see the names at the top. I would agree most of the time here, Damon, but even like some of the things you said, like what if Nate just pulls out fight week or what if Shamayev can't get there? Or what if something happens? Like, what are we going to do? There's like no contingency in place. There's no backup in place. Like I would think like maybe you just throw in some sort of a top 10 welterweight matchup. Like just throw in any two guys, like find any two welterweights that can get in there and fight. And then if something does happen, we have two decent names in the division. One could sub in and go from there. But like, I have no idea what they're going to do here. If they're even going to try to do anything, or if they are going to try to maybe do like a Poirier or Chandler and try to throw those two guys in there somehow, like, does this need a co-main event? Or do you think, we're going to all stay positive. This fight's going to happen and it's going to do a million pay-per-views and who cares? Yeah. You know, I think that, um, I, I think that they possibly could, you know, throw in someone else and that would be whatever. It would be a big deal, but I think that they, this could be a way for them to kind of stick it to Nate one more time with, as far as like him talking smack about the promotion, him not being happy with everything. Uh, the low pay-per-view buys means that he doesn't get as many points. And, um, it could be like one more final straw to, the whole thing. And I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of guys need to learn from this because the way the UFC does things, it, like they take care of everyone so well. When you like, when you look at the whole um, fight scene as a whole, you go to any other promotion, you go to um, any other country, wherever you're at, like it's like, it doesn't matter. Like everyone wants to be in the UFC for a reason. And, you know, you got these, these top level guys that can bitch and complain about, uh, you know, being in the UFC and they're not paying them enough. It's because like, you know, 
these people, they, they say that they're like, hey, we'll pay you $5 million. The UFC is only giving you $3 million. But then you go over there and you get that one fight and then, you, then you, no one ever watches it. No one ever – you have no more career. Once you leave the UFC, you're done. Like, it doesn't matter. I've never seen one person leave the UFC and then be bigger than the UFC. The UFC has branded themselves so well to where, um, you know, you talk smack about them. You can say whatever you want. But, like, at the end of the day, you got to show up and fight. And these guys that – uh, and they can talk about smack because he's been with promotion forever and he's kind of grown with them, but they've taken care of him and uh, they've done a lot of really good things for him and for his team and, you know, everything about it. So uh, I don't think it's cool on his end to talk so much smack. And then I don't know on the UFC's end, I don't know how, how much better they could do it uh, as far as this card. I think that them adding in people is definitely going to, you know, build some more excitement, but it could be a, a reason for them not to do that. It's because they want the pay-per-view sales to be low. Uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, I, mean, I gotta I think ask this just real quick. Yeah, can I jump in? W- what mile are you at? Like, w- where are you at on the mile marker on this treadmill right now? Oh, I'm only I've only done five six, but uh, I'm about to. So when we get off here, I have. So what, the way I do it is I cycle. I do 30 minutes on treadmill, and then I do 30 minutes in sauna, and then I go 25, 25, 20, 20, and then after that, I just sit in the sauna, and so I usually end up doing about an hour on both, uh, hour and a half on both. So oh, guys, I, man, I was just incredible. getting warmed up, and then I, I was getting warmed up, and I remembered I had uh, Ed uh, at Interim Sports. He texted me, and he was like, hey, you got to interview at two. And I was like, oh, no. So I kind of forgot that I had this, and then I was, like, already running. So I was like, I'll just slow down. I'll, I'll pick back up when it's over. This is incredible. Man, Ed's this the is man. Amazing. Ed's the man. This is ridiculous. Ed Cap. I love it. I Ed love Cap, it. ladies and gentlemen. One of my one of the best PR guys in, in the business. So we'll see what happens. September 10th is actually not that far away. If you really think about it, we're like a month and a half away from this card happening. So this is going to be a lot of fun from now until September 10th. But let's move on to round three. Let's move on to this Saturday. Maybe a card that Damon Jacks will be fighting on in a lightweight bout. The point for round two goes to. We'll give it to Shahid Alshadi just so this can be competitive. But I, I just the treadmillness, the treadmilling yeah, going that's on. That's a pity is, uh, point. Unbelievable. That's a pity point, Mike Heck. Yeah, yeah. I give pity points all the time on this program. Uh, so let's move on. Let's move on to this Saturday. And Damon, I know you are getting ready to hopefully get in there. So I will start with you here. UFC 277. We're in the Metroplex, Dallas, Texas. It's all going down at the American Airlines Center. The main event for the women's bantamweight title, the rematch from one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Juliana Pena, the champion, defending her title against Amanda Nunes. It has been a long time since we had the challenger name underneath Amanda Nunes' name, but that's what's happening this Saturday. Dame, we saw how the first fight went. People had their views about it. Amanda Nunes said she's been hurt, and all these things are happening heading in. Juliana caught her on a good night. Now it's different. New team, no more ATT. We're mixing things up a little bit. What are your intrigue I, I, levels for this fight as a, from a fan's perspective? I mean, after the first fight, those girls, they went back and forth. That was a slugger. Man. That was like, really cool to watch. But, uh, you know, like, I think you can call someone's bluff like that when they've been a champ for so long and they haven't had real challengers. Um, you kind of have that, you know, hope that they're going to win, but you don't know how they're going to lose. And then someone comes out there and shows you the exact game plan of how to beat them. And I think that that's the same case. I think going into this fight, it's the exact same thing. And I think – uh, Pena is going to have even more uh, on the line because she doesn't want to lose that title. But I don't think this is going to be a situation like Ronda Rousey where she, when she lost, she just kept losing and losing and losing. I don't think it's like that. I think that Amanda is more well-rounded than her, and she's 
uh, not as big of a star, but she's growing. You know, she's got a big name now. But I think that this fight goes uh, similar. I think that um, she walks her down. I think that, uh, you know, possibly there's a sub, you know, some sub attempts there. But uh, she's going to have to get on her quick like she did last time. I think that uh, this fight goes um, later on in the rounds. I think that uh, she might end up losing that. But, um, you know, I can see the fight going very similar. Sean, what, what was so impressive about Juliana Pena is she literally called her shot the entire time. She said, when I fight her, I'm going to weather the storm. She's, I can I can take everything she can throw out. And then after she empties her tank, I'm just going to beat her up and finish her. And she said exactly, like, she said it, and then she went out and did it, and it was unbelievable. Like, UFC 269 doesn't get enough credit for how good that card was and how big that moment was. But yeah. a lot of people feel like, Lightning's there's no way lightning's gonna strike twice. And I've said this all week on Heck of a Morning. My head says Amanda, but my gut is telling me that maybe Juliana does have her number. I don't really know, but it's an interesting fight to me. The more we get closer to Saturday, the more intrigued I'm getting. Where would you sort of gauge your intrigue levels for this rematch on Saturday night? I agree with you. I think the more the closer we get to it, the more and more we hear from these women the more intrigued I get because there's a couple elements to this, right? First is the element of, of what Damon just said. Of, of there's a, a level of co um, complacency, I would imagine, that sets in if you're Amanda and you haven't lost in such a long time and you've been so overwhelmingly dominant for so long and you have you everyone in, in your life is sort of telling you, like, you're the best, you're the champ, you're the greatest of all time, which she is. But at a certain point, you sort of just start believing that and maybe you don't work as hard. I'm not saying she didn't work hard, but it did seem like going into that fight, at least listening to her, that she had injuries in that camp, that she had COVID, and that was just a rough camp just overall. And she came into that fight in, in a, a way that she maybe wouldn't have wanted to, but she just assumed she would be able to push through it and, and do it because that's sort of how she's done for the last five, six, seven years. Uh, there's an element of that. But also, too, I'm really compelled to by this fight because of a comparison that our good friend Jed Mishu made on a, on his past victory article that is, you can read right now on MMA Fighting. He compared this fight to some to one that I really hadn't connected it to. But in my head, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. He connected this to Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 1, right? Where, where Conor McGregor comes in, he thinks this is going to be an easy time, wings a ton of hard shots, just lets it all go in the first round, knocks down Nate a bunch of times and thinks, you know, that's going to be the end. We're going to get out of here. Nate Diaz weathers the storm, and then Conor is tired by the time round two comes, and Nate's able to sub him out. That was pretty much what we saw last December. And so coming into this, I do wonder if we're going to see Amanda take a very different approach the same way we saw Conor take a different approach, where that second Nate Diaz fight, you saw Conor not loading up on his shots nearly as much, taking a much more measured, patient approach to fighting Nate on the outside, not trying to gas out his tank, being in it for a 25-minute fight and sort of trying to maybe not point fight, but not nearly be the aggressor that he was in that first fight and try to play it out to go to the distance. And I wonder if that's what we're going to see from Amanda this time out, is that level of adjustment of, of trying to be much more patient, not blowing it all in the first round and just trying to fight from a distance and see if she can just sort of beat Juliana in a technical fight rather than a brawl. And that to me is very compelling because Juliana is someone who is going to come in there and force the fight no matter what, right? She is a bulldog. She is going to press the action regardless. And the combination of those two styles, if that's what we get, I think that's going to be a, a classic, classic type of type of matchup and fight that we're going to end up seeing. Yeah, that's why I love this one so much because even if Amanda – because you would think like Amanda's – tendency here just be like yeah we'll just slow it down a little bit and we'll be fine but juliana pena like doesn't fight like that and if amanda slows it down like juliana will just blitz her and get right in her face and make her work so 
that is uh th that's some theater and i'm excited to see how it goes down but one one other thing i wanted to bring up before we kind of look at the card as a whole is sean it's amazing in the sport how quickly we can knock people down off pedestals like amanda nunez two titles we're i mean we were singing her praises for years the goat best women's fighter of all time there's no discussion no debate and then one loss and it just seems like some people just gave up on that altogether after one loss like I mean, to me, it's like, come on, slow your roll a little bit. But I, I can ask you these type of questions, but I think it's part of the story. What does a second loss to Juliana Pena do to that legacy? Like, and what if she wins? Does it almost negate the loss from December? Like, how do you feel about Amanda's legacy now? And if she loses, where do you think it stands? And if she wins, where do you think it stands? So there's two elements to that, right? Because I do think if she wins, it will negate it to a large part, right? I mean, George St. Pierre lost to, famously lost to Matt Serra. I don't know that anybody holds it against him. He's still the greatest fighter of all time in my eyes. Like, you were able to get over that type of situation if you're that level of greatness. And I think that would translate very well to Amanda. If she does lose, though, I mean, who cares, right? Like, obviously, she doesn't want to lose, but she is still the greatest female fighter we have ever seen in the history of the sport. Losing at the end of your career, and for her, this is year 14. You don't know how much longer she's going to go. Anderson Silva lost at the end of his career a bunch of times, and he is still easily the greatest middleweight we have ever seen in the history of the sport. Fighters lose at the end of their career. Like, that's just sort of the reality of the game. The game eats itself. The old eat the young, or sorry, the young eat the old. It happens. I don't know that we, if, if Amanda loses on Saturday and people take that loss as sort of evidence that I don't know that she wasn't good this whole time or that she was never as good as we thought, that, that to me feels very ridiculous, very silly, very disrespectful, and just generally very ignorant to the history of how combat sports has gone throughout history. Regardless of how this plays out, Amanda Nunes is an all-time great who deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore uh, of women's MMA, and I don't think any results that we see on Saturday changes that. Yeah, it's sometimes people flip-flop and, and do that, but I completely agree with you, Sean. As a fighter, Damon, and you see people just kind of dogging Amanda Nunes and what she's done in her past because she lost one time and just it wasn't her night, and she lost. Like, we say this all the time in MMA fighting. Like, it is so difficult. It's maybe one of the toughest things in all of sports to be a champion in the UFC, and not just to be a champion, but to be a long-reigning champion, to continuously go out there night after night Take it on these fighters who have been not only preparing for that date, but have probably been preparing for you since they came into the UFC. And you sometimes you lose. That's why some of these records are really tough to top. Like where DJ and Anderson Silver are, I have a hard time believing anybody's going to match those records or break those records. So when you see people kind of dogging Amanda after losing to Juliana, I was curious what your reaction is and, and where does her legacy stand after Saturday, win or lose? I think uh, definitely, like, everybody gets super emotional, like, during the fight and maybe right after. But after a while, you kind of just have to, like, Google someone's name and look at what they've done. Um, you know, like, people make a big deal about, uh, like, an accidental eye poke to end the fight. Or they see that that guy went out last week and threw a leg kick and then hurt his knee. But they're going to actually, here in about a couple months, you're going to look up his name and you're going to see that it was just a, a loss. And at the end of the day, that's all it is. So um, I think that... She comes back after this fight, after losing the last fight, and after all the you know things that she's done before that. If she comes out and she wins, people will never like remember the loss at all. I think if she goes out there and they have like you know a five round slugfest and um, she loses again, uh, they're gonna they're not gonna think anything about it. It's like fans are always like in the moment, so you're like you're only as good as your last fight, and that goes a long ways. It's like 
Um, you know, if you go out there and look like crap, everybody's going to think that you're going to look like crap, crap next fight. So um, you can either take that and run with it and go out there and have like a really exciting fight or you can go out there and do what you think that everybody thinks that you're going to do. So it, uh, I think that this fight is, uh, I think the women's division as a whole, uh, you got these girls in there just wanting to prove themselves against the guys. They want to go out there and put on a good show. They want to get paid the same. So they're out there just slugging it out. And I think it, it creates a lot of excitement for a fight. And I think that this fight uh, is about as exciting as it gets for the females because, uh, you know, you do have one of the greatest girls that ever uh, fought in the sport. And then, you know, you got a girl that's not scared to fight her, which is really hard to find because there's a lot of people that they say they talk about smack and they say that they're not scared. But when you look at Juliana and you listen to her talk, like, you know she's legit not scared to fight. She's going to bring the fight to her for sure. And I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. Um, you know, I think that it definitely, uh, it, it holds a lot to her, um, her value as a, a fighter going forward, both of them. I think, um, you know, if they're smart, what they'll do is uh, they'll have a really close fight back and forth. And then at the very end, um, let Juliana, should let, let her win, let Nunez win. And then they have a trilogy because then they would sell more pay-per-views. <laughs> but, hey, can't you can't do that. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to go out there. You got to put on a show. You got to finish the fight. Um, I think that this is good, definitely going to be an exciting fight. But I think Juliana, I think she's going to walk her down. I think that Amanda can say what she wants, but I think that that's the secret to beating her. It's just not being scared of her. I mean, what a, I mean, what a scene that was. All right. We'll break. We'll look at the rest of this card in a moment. But the point for round three, this is going to be a stunner. Goes to. I mean, it was close, but Damon kind of stole it with that yeah. with that last couple of sentences. Yeah. It's two to one. I mean, that was amazing. That this was man amazing. is keeping his heart rate so damn low while doing this show and doing and, and on the treadmill this whole time. This is just ridiculously impressive. It, he hasn't even taken a deep breath. It's unbelievable. Not one deep breath at all. He's probably on like a 12 incline right now. It's, it's unbelievable, but. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the US. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. So we got this card. This is the second pay-per-view of July. We had UFC 276. Now we've got UFC 277. And on paper, there's not really much of a comparison. I think 276 is a little more loaded. It was more the International Fight Week thing, trying to bring back, bring that back to its glory, bring it back to its peak, so to speak. But this card, like the main card on this one is, is really solid. I love the co-main event. We'll start with that. We get Derek Lewis on the card against Sergey Pavlovich. Pantoja and Perez are just going to beat the brakes off each other. Ankle life, Anthony Smith is so interesting to me. I love that fight a lot, but Damon, I'll start with you. We talked about the main event. It's a good one. You, you love the stylistic matchup. You love the fact that Juliana Pena is not scared to get into a brawl or get into a fight with Amanda Nunes. Now we got Brandon Moreno taking on Kai Car France, interim flyweight title. The winner will probably meet Davis and Figueredo sometime at the end of the year to unify the belts. 
this fight rules. Their first fight ruled. And now you're going to give these guys 10 extra minutes? Good Lord. What are your thoughts on this co Yeah, event? I got to go with my boy Moreno. I think that he, uh, you know, he goes at, he goes after him. And, uh, you know, he's just like, it was uh, frustrating to see him lose that last fight. But, it, you know, he, I think he's uh, still got the champ material. I think he's got um, the excitement for sure. I think that, um, you know, when, whenever you have that title and you lose it, you just want to do everything in the world to get it back. So uh, I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. I think he pulls it off for sure. Sean, I love a lot about this fight because Brandon Moreno, I've said this publicly many times, one of my favorite people to interview with this entire sport. You give me multiple names and then Brandon Moreno is one of them. Don't even don't even list off the rest of the names. I'm taking Brandon Moreno. He's just such a positive presence, such a such a good dude and just fun to talk to. And he's a great fighter. But Kaikara France right now, man, there's certain fighters and you see the road they've taken and you see the path they're on and you see this guy went in there and beat Askar Askarov and you almost have this like sort of feel to him that, I mean, I just don't know if this guy can lose right now. Like everything just seems to be coming up Kaikara France at this point. And that's what makes this fight so fascinating to me. This is a glorified number one contender fight. It was a talk of, do we just do four in a row with Moreno and Figgy, or does Kai Car France skip the line? This actually works out better in my mind, because now we get to just get the answer to the question, and then the winner can fight Figgy at the end of the year. So what do you think about this co-main event? Five rounds at 125 pounds between these two guys? This thing's going to be fantastic, is it not? Oh, it's it's spectacular. The flyweight division right now is is just completely on fire. I mean, we saw it with the Matt Schnell fight not too long ago. Like this division is red hot, and this is just an example of it, man. And and, and I mean, you talk about the the road that Kaikara France has been on. He has really turned his fortunes around over these last two years. He has really turned into a force in this division. And I know some people may complain about the interim title and, and sort of what's on the stake here, but. I mean, ultimately, I care about these guys getting paid more. And if that's what it takes to get these guys getting paid more and getting championship pay and more, you know, more fighters on these cards getting paid more money, I'm here for it. It, it makes sense in this case. I mean, Divis Figueredo, we don't really know exactly when he's going to come back. Uh, ultimately, I was in favor of the Tetralogy right after that third fight. But if this is the way the cards play out, like this is perfectly fine option B for me. And I think this is just has fireworks written all over. it. These two guys come after it. And it, I don't know any way that I mean, I know it's almost a jinx to say, like, there's no way this fight can be boring. But there genuinely is no way that this fight can be boring. This is going to be fight of the night. It has it written all over it. Taking a look at the rest of the card, Damon, I, I, I know you want to pick yourself here, but. We like to play a game called what's the low key banger on a pay-per-view card. What's the fight on this card that as a fan, you are just super excited about that. Maybe not enough people are talking about. Uh, I think Alex Morono, I think he's going to steal the show. I think he's going to go out there, pull off some flashy kicks. Some flashy, he's, I think he's headlining the, headlining the undercard. Um, I think that he comes out there and puts on a show and um, I think he, he'll end up getting a uh, sick submission. Like, I think he hits him, hurts him, TKO or a uh, quick sub, and it'll it'll be flashy for sure. I love that fight. Alex Morono, one of the the best spoken fighters in all of MMA. Like you interview Alex Morono and you feel like you're listening to Mr. Feeney give a lecture on on history or something. It's just so well spoken. You learn so much every time you talk to this man. I like that fight, Shaw. What's yours? What's the one that's flying under the radar? What's the one that's gets you all jazzed up? I mean, Damon's got a rep for the Fortis guys. I totally understand that call. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, for me, I'm going back to the flyweights, man. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think this main card's sort of being looked over uh, a little bit too much. It's it's really compelling up and down the main card. But for me, that Alex Perez versus Andre Alejandro Petoja fight, that has fire written all over it. We haven't seen Alex Perez since he lost to Davidson back in 2020. It's nice to have him back in the mix. And Pantoja's sort of been this lost guy in this 125-pound division. Like, he is one of the best flyweights in the entire world, period. He already beat Brandon Moreno once. That was several years ago. But still, that was a fun fight back then. This guy brings it every time. And I don't see any way that this fight disappoints. I am really looking forward to that one. Yeah, I think this is not really low-key, but... No respect for Anthony Smith this week. It's unbelievable. No respect for this man. I'm curious to see how he shows up with that massive chip on his shoulder because he's carrying that thing, and it might be the biggest one he's ever had. So uh, Damon Jackson's getting ready to run. The point for round four goes to... It goes to Sean Alshadi because I want Damon to make sure he makes that 155 mark. I want to make him run on just a, just a few minutes more. So that means it's time for the knockout round. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if there's a poll up. Maybe Casey will get one up there. If not, Casey will, will deliver the answer. But we'll ask one question. It'll be the same question for both of you guys. I didn't know what it was until like 12 seconds ago, but I'm going to go with that. Each of you will have 60 seconds to answer. When it's over, we'll bring Casey in, and he will announce the winner. So Shaheen, you won the, uh, the random draw. Do you want to go first, or do you want to pass this over to... Damon Jackson. I'm going to go first and see how out of breath Damon can get for his answer. <laughs> All right. So we're going to play a fun game called Dana White was on the fence. What should the answer have actually been? So Dana White was at Dana White's contender series. He spoke with the media after. And one question I hoped that he would get, he actually got, and he had quite the answer to this. So I don't know if you guys saw this on social media. This is a very big deal. It went viral. But there was an ACA card that went yeah. down. And right before they stopped, right before they went to the final round, the promoter for the promotion came in and said, essentially, this fight is really boring. I'm disqualifying you both. And it just ended the fight right there and then. So Data was asked about it. And he said, quote, that is effing awesome. Props to that guy. And then he said, highly, incredibly unprofessional but effing awesome at the same time. Was it really a boring fight? Well, that gives me some ideas for next Tuesday. So, Sean, was this unprofessional or was this effing awesome? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. I mean, can it be both? Because I feel like it can probably be both, right? Because it's super unprofessional, especially in a situation like that where it seemed like this was some sort of tournament uh, set up and, and, you know, just generally, like... All of this was very unprofessional, but I, who who among us has not been watching a fight that maybe wasn't the best, that maybe you didn't particularly enjoy and just wish you could go in there and tell them both, to, all right, we've seen enough. Like, we understand where this is going. So I, I think it's absolutely both. Uh, and, you know, that's fine. I think sometimes you can split the fence on this and, and things could be one way or another. That's all I got. So, that's 30 seconds. All right, so nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to this. So let's just say before Carlos Barza Rose Namajunas went into the fifth round and Dana White went into the octagon. How would you have reacted to that? I mean, that's a championship fight, my man. You got to let somebody win the title. That would have been outrageous if you just like, <laughs> hey, no one, like Rose, you don't, you're not champion anymore. No one's champion in this division. That's a little too much. I'm not here for that. Uh, but you know, I mean, again, I'm not going to name names, but there have been certain fights where I'm sure we wish we could do something like this. 
Yes. I, I only ask that because I know how highly you regard that fight. And it's in print for everybody to read if they want to. Uh, so, Damon, you are literally you are literally running here. So same question to you. I'm curious to get the fighter perspective here. Was this effing awesome or was this highly, incredibly unprofessional? You probably saw the video multiple times. Your time starts yeah. now. Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely unprofessional. But, you know, after seeing Dana's reaction, I kind of thought that this would have happened like in the early 2000s. Like if it would have happened, it would have happened then from Dana. Because now you can't do anything wrong nowadays because they're going to, the media is going to blast you for months and months and months. So I think that uh, it definitely gave Dana an idea, but it's a little too late. But I think that uh, the fighters got to take something away from that. And you got you to gotta realize that you're out there to, to put a show on. You're out there to entertain people. Um, they have to work every day. These guys, they bust their ass every day. They have their job. They're working. They spend their money on this pay-per-view card, and now you're not going to entertain them. So it's like, you know, like I understand it. I understand why the fans and, the, and Dana gets mad. But sometimes when you're in there, you just don't have the answer. And you don't want to uh, step the wrong way and get hit or whatever. So I see both ways, but I think it was definitely unprofessional. But I'm surprised Dana didn't do it yet. Oh my goodness. This man just spoke for a minute straight <laughs> while running. This is just mail this in. This is done. This is absolutely done. Oh my God. If you're, if there is an actual poll, like this should be like 90, 10 right now. This I'm uh, voting like, for Damon. I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was almost in tears laughing. He's just, he's just sprinting away uphill and just giving the answer, barely breathing. Absolutely ridiculous. So there you go. There's the question. Uh, and let me just say this, uh, Kudos to Dana White for that speech on Tuesday night uh, after the Contender Series. Only gave the one contract out to Joe Pfeiffer. We don't yeah. see that kind of energy in Dana these days. This was like, you know, this is the Dana, like this is the, the 2022 version of do you want to be an effing fighter? And I dug it. Yeah. I really dug it. And it kind of gave me good vibes for the rest of the season because I love, love the Contender Series. I love it so much. And I wanted to go back more towards the first couple of seasons where – you didn't just win and get a contract. You really had to work yeah. for it. Um, so yeah. I, I dug that a lot. So you guys can vote as it says here. We have a very busy schedule here at MMA Fighting. Tomorrow, sometime in the morning, we'll have a heck of a morning, probably before the actual weigh-ins for Dallas. Maybe Damon will be there uh, to weigh in on Friday. And then we'll have your weigh-in show. We'll have your preview show. We'll have Saturday of the People's Pre-Fight Show. I think we're going to do like 5.15 Eastern. Stay tuned for that. And then we'll have all your coverage. Jose Youngs is in Dallas right now getting you all fired up. So let us bring in the man with the baddest stash in MMA media, E. Casey Lydon, his new spot. Do we, have a, do we have a winner? We do have a winner. We do have a winner. All right. <clears throat> let me close this poll. We can. We already. We already know the answer to this. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> All right. Your winner on today's Between the Links is by a whopping ninety-nine percent of the votes. Yeah. Damon. <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> I never said that's a amazing. <laughs> Wow. I didn't see this coming. I think Damon Jackson just changed between the links forever. Because <laughs> if you don't show up on a, on a treadmill, you're, you, you, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. So, Damon, 
Well said. And your prize is you get 30 seconds to say whatever it is you want to say. So if you have uh, some words of wisdom for your fellow 55ers heading into Saturday's card, let them know whatever you want to say. The floor is yours. Hey, regulate or just ankle. I don't, I don't want anybody <laughs> to really get hurt, but it's like a stomach bug, like Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozon kind of thing where you don't really know what's going on, like a stomach bug. Like, I would, lo- I would love to take the fight. I'm actually, I'm going to I'm gonna DM all the guys at 55, and I'm going to say, hey, if you want out of the fight, I'll pay you 10 grand. So if, that's, if you see someone pull out of the car, wow. hey, if they all pull off at the same time, I guess I owe, you know, 30 grand to all those guys. Wow. Listen to that. Clip somebody. that off. <laughs> oh my God. Clip that off. Wow. Amazing. Lightweights, go right eat there. some shrimp tacos. Let's let's get let's the go. weirdest shrimp tacos hey, you can no, find I right now. I got a great place. Amoto. Uh, go to Amoto. If you're going to the Dallas card, go to Amoto. It's right there by American Airlines Center. It's the best sushi in Dallas. I don't know if you're trying to get them to eat bad sushi or no. not, but if you are, I'm I here for work. it. Hey, hey. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this was just some episode, Sean. I mean, you saw this man on the treadmill already. You knew you were toast. So your reaction to the to the non-surprising result? I mean, it's the right call, but it definitely influences how I'm going to approach this show in the future. You're right. Damon, Damon is just <laughs> reinventing the show. I'm going to be doing push-ups next time I'm doing I'm on this show. I'm just going to be doing sets in between this, pumping out some curls or something. Like, let's get this going. Let's Let's kick this up a notch next time. I'm here for it. I mean, we definitely helped Damon with this weight cut because he had to talk, run, and walk it all at the same time, and he did a fantastic <laughs> job. This might be the best performance in the history of the program, but we appreciate you all watching. We appreciate Sean for coming on. We appreciate Damon for coming on in the middle of a weight cut. And Ed Cap, you created magic today, my man, so salute to you as well. Thank you very much. We'll be back once again right here on the show. Lots of 277 stuff coming up, so stay tuned to MMA Fighting for all of that. So for Shaheed, for Damon, for Casey on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esterlin, perhaps we'll take you home. I am Mike Keck. We'll see you back here next week between the links. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links. I'm Esterlin. Congratulations. Sean Shadi. do some push-ups. <laughs> You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.